Well, I want to thank the musicians this morning for reminding us about the faithfulness of our God. And in a very special way, next week we are celebrating the Lord's faithfulness to Grace Baptist Church over the past 50 years. It is going to be a wonderful celebration. And if you have not as yet signed up to participate in the picnic on Saturday evening or the breakfast Sunday morning or the dinner that follows the morning service next week, please be sure to do that today so that we can make the appropriate arrangements. And uh, I'm sure that if you have some friends that perhaps at this point still haven't been invited, but you would like to invite them, do that. Let them come and be part of this great opportunity to celebrate the Lord's faithfulness. It will be a wonderful, wonderful time. And uh, I am really looking forward to this. I'm going to get to meet some of the folks that have been part of our church history that I've never had the opportunity to meet. And some of you are going to be able to renew friendships of individuals, and it'll be a wonderful time. So let me encourage you to be part of that and to take advantage of all that's going on. There are some passages of Scripture that are, I guess what you would call watershed Scriptures. They are of such a nature that they give perhaps a a focused perspective, but an extremely important focused perspective. And there are passages that every believer should know about. And if a question is raised, we should know where to turn. We obviously know the creation account is given in Genesis chapter 1. The fall of man where sin entering into the world is described for us in Genesis chapter 3. And we we should be familiar with that. We should be familiar with some of the Psalms. If somebody said to you, uh, what's the great shepherd Psalm? Psalm 23, you know that. Are you also aware that the Psalms give a very, very specific description of the crucifixion in Psalm chapter 22? And that is another one of those psalms that you should be able to look at and say, oh, if you want to know how God prophesied the the crucifixion and what was going to happen with Christ, Psalm 22, and you have a description of this incredible event that would be taking place several thousand years later. Or a thousand years later, I I should say. Um, If you were to go to the prophets and say, what is the great messianic chapter that describes for us what the Messiah would come to do, what chapter would you turn to? Isaiah chapter 53, one of the most important passages in all of the Old Testament and one that is tremendously helpful in our communicating the gospel, particularly to those who perhaps are of a Jewish background. If somebody said to you, where would I find the Great Commission? Matthew chapter 28 is one of the references. You could turn to Acts chapter 1. There's, there's, the commission is also reiterated there as Jesus is ascending into heaven. And you could turn there. Well, the chapter that we started looking at last week is one of those watershed chapters. And this is one with which every follower of Christ should be very, very familiar for two specific reasons. One is... In the early part of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we are told specifically the content of the gospel, which is the power of God to salvation, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, 
and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That is what a person must accept through faith in order to receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Just adding Jesus to your bag isn't what the scriptures teach. That's not good news. Asking Jesus to be your helper or to come into your life, that is not good news. What you're asking for is somebody to be your benefactor. What the gospel is, is a demonstration from God's perspective of the provision that he made for our forgiveness and for our gift or the gift that he gives us of eternal life. This 15th chapter not only gives us the heart of the gospel, but then it goes on to tell us one of the most important doctrines that we can embrace as followers of Christ, and that is the doctrine of the resurrection. And it is an extremely important book, and so I've made a decision, and here's the decision. We have a lot of things that we include in our morning service, which means that if we're going to be timely, we, we try to get out of here around 12 o'clock, right? We, we try. I mean, we, we haven't been successful very much, but that, that is what we aim for. And here's the thing. I'm not going to let the clock rush us through this chapter. And so even though we have to take a break from it next week because of the nature of our service, we're going to stay in this chapter as long as it takes to understand what the Lord has taught about the resurrection. For this reason, there are those who don't believe in it. There are those who believe, as we talked about last week, that when you're dead, you're dead. That's it. Your body is laid in the grave. You go out of existence. There is no more. That is not the truth. That is a lie. The Bible teaches us that there is not only life following our physical death, but there is also a coming resurrection in which those who know Christ as Savior will be resurrected to life with glorified bodies, bodies that will no longer be subject to sin, bodies that will no longer be subject to death, and that there will also be a resurrection of the lost, and their bodies will be resurrected as well, and there will be a terrible end for them as they experience what is called the second death. And so we're going to look at that together as we began last week. Would you make sure that your Bible is open to 1 Corinthians chapter 15? And if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in the pew in front of you. You need to turn here and spend time looking at this passage with us. How can we be sure? How can we rest with absolute certainty that there is going to be a resurrection of the dead? How can we know that our bodies are going to be resurrected and live with the absolute confidence that that is going to happen? Here's the chapter that tells us how. Last week we began looking at this and we understood that the evidence was very, very clear concerning the matter of the resurrection. Back in verse 12, we began with Paul's addressing this issue. If Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? This error, this lie, has been taught from ages past. So it's nothing new when you hear people say that, oh, you believe in a resurrection, you've got to be crazy. No, no, you believe the truth. You believe that which is going to happen. And we have a variety of testimonies as to how we know that will happen. The first is that throughout the scriptures, the doctrine of the resurrection has been taught. Job, who is 
the individual who is characterized and identified and spoken of in the oldest book of the scriptures as far as time of writing wrote about the day that was coming in which he knew that in his flesh he would see God though his flesh would die and be laid to the side. How was that going to happen? He was going to be resurrected. We learn from Isaiah that the the body, though it dies, is one day going to be resurrected and come out of the, the tomb or be resurrected from wherever that portion of the body is that will be raised. We learn from Daniel that there would be two aspects to the resurrection. There would be those that would be raised to life and then there would be those who would be raised to condemnation. And then the Lord Jesus himself taught it. And he spoke about how the resurrection was going to occur and that there would be the inclusion of a new body when the Lord takes us to be with himself. So we have that evidence. Then, to add to that, we had the evidence of resurrections actually happening. Resurrections that were unique and different from Christ's because Christ's resurrection was eternal, never to die again, with a glorified body. But the resurrections that occurred previously to that all rose with a body that was still subject to decay and to death, and they died again. There was Elijah raising the widow's son after he passed away. There was Elisha, who for the Shunammite woman is described for us in coming to this son of hers that had died and being involved as the instrument through which God would raise him from the dead. There was the situation of Jairus, this man whose daughter was gravely ill when he went to find Christ, but on the way back, the daughter had passed away, and they told Jesus, don't, don't bother, it's, it's too late. This, this little one is gone. And Jesus said, no, no. She's, she's still here. And he went in, and he raised her from the dead. And Peter, following the ascension of Christ, was used by God to raise a woman by the name of Dorcas, who was also called Tabitha, who had done wonderful things for the people that knew her. And they lamented her death, and Peter was called upon by the Lord to bring her life back to her again. So you've got these examples in Scripture of where this event occurred. You have the reality of Christ's resurrection, which takes us back to the earlier verses in this 15th chapter where Paul gives testimony to the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and not only did he rise from the dead, but there were over 500 people who saw him alive after he had died and they could still give testimony to that very day that Jesus was alive and knowing that he was alive, many of them were willing to die for him. Because they knew it was true that Jesus had risen from the dead. And then we didn't quite make it into this last week, but Paul himself gives testimony. He taught that Jesus was, or not only that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, but that the resurrection was going to occur. And we didn't take time to to pursue this, but let me just summarize it for you. If you're familiar with Scripture, you'll know what I'm talking about. 
when Paul was arrested for his faithful witness for Christ and his testimony for the Savior, um, he was a sharp guy. He knew what he was doing. And when he was brought on trial before the, the religious leaders of the day in which he was living, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, they're all there and they're, they're just looking for a way to put Paul to death. They want this man dead, just like they wanted Jesus dead. And so they're putting these uh, questions to him and they're trying him and they're trying to bring testimony against him so that they have a reason to kill him. And the Bible tells us, that Paul, looking around, realized the group of people that he was standing in front of. And he knew these people over here were the Pharisees, and this other group standing over here were the Sadducees. Now you remember that the Bible taught us that the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. They did not believe in spirits. They believed that the body is just a physical being, that there was a life principle within it, but once that life principle was gone, that was it. So Paul, looking at them, makes a decision. This is so cool. Do you understand how neat this is? He looks at them and he says, let me tell you the reason I'm on trial here. I believe in the resurrection. I believe that when the body dies, it is going to be resurrected again. And now the, Pharise- or the, the Sadducees, they're all upset with that. And, and the Pharisees are saying, well, yeah, we believe in that too. So guess what happened? They turned on each other. And Paul's standing there. He's going, mm-hmm. let's see, it's just about lunchtime. I guess everything will be okay. And they're fighting with each other. And, of course, this now takes the heat off Paul. Later, when he goes on trial before some of the leaders, he testifies to the same thing that he believes in the resurrection. And when we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, not only does he tell us that he believes in the resurrection, but he's going to tell us what the resurrection is all about. And he's going to describe it for us. And he's going to leave no doubt as to what's coming. So what we've got here in this early part of our study is that the evidence is very, very clear concerning the, the reality of the resurrection. Then we go on to the next part of why the resurrection is so important. This is not just something that God put into his program because it has little consequence. It is an extremely important understanding for us to have. And he goes on in the verses that follow verse 12 and he says this, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. You know what he's telling us here? He's saying, let's just suppose for a moment that the resurrection is not true. Let's just just give that ground for the moment. We're not going to give it permanently. Let's just give it for the moment. Let's just say there is no resurrection. What does that imply? What does that mean to us? Well, the first thing is, it affects Paul himself. His preaching is vain. There's there's no reason for him to preach. There's no need for it. You see, preaching has a goal. You are seeing the goal unfold in front of you right now. What preaching is all about is this. It is to present facts 
that are to be believed and embraced and accepted by faith that will result ultimately in changed lives that are given over to good works. That's what it's about. This isn't just a time filler on Sunday mornings. This is somebody standing in front of you, whoever that might be, presenting facts as they understand them, that you have the opportunity to evaluate and determine whether or not what you are being presented is true and consistent with the Word of God, and then being convinced of those facts to such a place that you believe it and you live according to what you believe. And your life is characterized by the works that those beliefs produce. Now, should our lives be affected if we believe that there's a resurrection coming? Okay, so let's back it up. We should have a certain lifestyle if we believe that there is a resurrection coming. That lifestyle is based upon faith that we have exercised in the facts of the resurrection that are now being presented to you verbally, but you can go home and you can open up the scriptures and you can find out for yourself, is this what God said? And it is. I have absolutely no fear that you will find anything other than what you're hearing today. Paul looks at this and he said, here's the importance. If the resurrection is not true, then we shouldn't mess around with this preaching issue. As a matter of fact, if there's going to be any preaching at all, let it be a social gospel. Let's just kind of get along with each other. Let's, let's be kind to one another. Of course, the definition of, you'll hear people say, well, let's love one another. And, and to some, loving means letting them go to hell. I mean, just to be very honest about it. Don't ever present sin that we are guilty sinners and our sin has separated us from our God. Don't ever talk about that. Don't ever talk about the fact that there was a bloody cross where someone died a horrible death, but not merely in sacrificing his body and shedding his blood, but also being separated from his Father for the first time in all of eternity. Don't talk about that. Don't talk about the fact that when you really trust Jesus Christ as Savior, you are given new life that results in a completely new way of living. Your whole worldview changes. Your desires change. And in some sadness, even your realms of influence begin to change. See, Paul is telling us this. The only thing that justifies what he did on the day he was speaking to the Corinthians and writing to them, and the only thing that justifies what we are doing here today is the resurrection of Jesus Christ and our ultimate resurrection as well. Otherwise, forget it. This is a waste of time. Go on. As he proceeds, he says this, Yes, 
And we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. What he is basically saying is this. Not only is his message to them unreliable, but the totality of scripture is unreliable. What Job wrote is not reliable. What Isaiah wrote is not reliable. What Matthew wrote is not reliable. What Paul is writing is not reliable. The scriptures have been written by individuals who testify to the resurrection. And what we have in the New Testament scriptures, as opposed to the Old Testament, is that now you have a group of writers, Paul, Peter, John, Jude, Luke, Mark, all of these individuals will testify to the reality of the resurrection, and if there is no resurrection, they're a bunch of liars. Don't pay any attention to the rest of what they've written. Do you understand that? You can't pick and choose what's true and what's not true. Either the Word of God is true or it's not. So what Paul is saying is this. If you believe for a moment that there is no resurrection, throw your Bible away. It's of no value. We are nothing but liars. We are here to deceive, to trick, to move you in a direction that's not right. Unless the resurrection is true. And then what we're telling you is the truth. And we better pay attention. He tells us a third element of that as he goes down into verse 16. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If there is no resurrection, there is no salvation. Paul wrote to the Romans and he said this. He said that it is the resurrection of Christ that is the guarantee. It is through that that we have the assurance of being justified. That means declared innocent in the presence of a holy God. If Christ did not rise from the dead, the Father did not accept His sacrifice, the sacrifice of His Son, the Lord Jesus. He did not accept that as the final sacrifice for sin. Therefore, we are still in our sins. There has been no transfer of guilt. My sin were never, my sins were never transferred to the person of Christ for which He gave His life to pay the penalty that my sins deserve. That never happened. And the transfer of His righteousness was never given to me so that I would have a standing before a holy God that is not based upon my behavior, but upon my relationship with God the Son through faith where I am clothed in His righteousness and fully accepted by the Father. That didn't happen. Is this important? There's no forgiveness... There's no eternal life. There is no hope. Those who have died are lost. And we are a bunch of fools. 
let's just pack it up and go home. And then let me tell you, don't bother coming back for the anniversary because that's a hoax. All that is is a bunch of people throwing a party. That's all that amounts to. As a matter of fact, let's take it a step further. Next Friday night, you can find me at the bar. What, did some of you think I'd be silly at the bar? I probably would be if I was there. You will find me saturating my life with the things that brings me pleasure for right now. Because that's all that matters. I'm going to grab for all the gusto. I'm going to eat. I'm going to drink. I'm going to party down. Because all I want is what this life has to offer. Let me ask you a question. Those of you who think, those of us who are idiots, (laughs) those of you who think we Christians are idiots, why do you think that we are willing to say no to things that bring sensual pleasure in order to embrace things that would be considered goody-two-shoes stuff. Why is it you spend hours reading the Bible? Why is it that you spend hours going to services? Why is it that you sit your children down and you teach them truths and you discipline them according to biblical principles and you do those things? Why do you do that stuff? Because there's a resurrection. And it isn't just here and now. We are making a trade. And what trade we're making is this. We are not satisfying the sensual desires of the flesh that are in opposition to a holy God because we believe the day is coming that holy God is going to bring us into His presence. He is going to raise us from the dead and we are going to stand before Him as our judge and as our rewarder And when we look back, we're going to say, it was worth it. Those that live for today to satisfy themselves are making a bad trade. And that's the hard part about being a Christian because we look at the world and we say, do you all understand what you're doing? Do you understand what you're giving up? You are sacrificing eternity. For a few moments of pleasure. And, and by the way, it is pleasurable. It is pleasurable. And, and that's not a violation of what the scripture says. The Bible says there is pleasure in sin. For a season. And then it's over. Thirty-one years ago. You, this is going to seem strange. You're, you're going to think I'm weird. But that's okay. 31 years ago, I became a pastor. And I can remember sitting in the quietness of our house, just contemplating this reality. You're a pastor. 
you have been asked to shepherd a flock. You have been asked to share God's word with them and to teach them what God has to say, to feed them, to protect them, to be an example before them. And look at what you have to do for these people. And I can remember saying to myself, you know what? It's going to seem like tomorrow that it's all over. And it'll all be past. And I'm here to tell you today, it seems like it was yesterday. And those 31 years, I have regrets for things that I've done, but I don't regret for a minute giving those 31 years to Christ. Because it was only a season. And it's gone. You kids, you think life is just day after day, school, doing what mom and dad have to say. And they took away my cell phone. Let me tell you, before you know it, you're going to be the one sitting out there and your kids are going to be sitting down here. Before you know it, just like that. All I can tell you is this, and you know this. Before you know it, it's over. And the day comes that we stand before the Savior. And the day comes that our bodies are resurrected and we say, everything I did for Christ Everything I gave up for Christ, it was all worth it. Kyle asked me if I would remind him in 12 years to give that letter to Madison. And I jokingly said, I may not be alive in 12 years. Here's what I can tell you. I won't be alive in 50 years. But who said that's for sure? <laughs> who said that? And then I'll ask myself this question. Was it worth it? A hundred years. Was it worth it? thousand years was it worth it yeah if I didn't know Christ as my Savior and if I didn't desire to live for him as imperfectly as I do that I would look back in 50 years and I would raise my eyes in torment and say it wasn't worth it why didn't I come to Christ? Why didn't I trust Him as my Savior? Why didn't I live for His glory? It wasn't worth it. 
Which side do you fall on? Which side? You're on one or the other. You're not in the middle. There is no middle ground. You either know the Savior or you don't. If you don't, let me introduce you to Him. Jesus took your sin upon Himself and He died on the cross so that those sins would be completely paid for. He not only died for your sins, but He was buried and then to prove that the Father said that was the perfect sacrifice, I accept that, He then gave to me His righteousness so that in the eyes of the Father, He looks at me and says, Brian Wingenroth, hmm, there's a righteous man. Somebody says, oh, don't you know what he did? Uh, no, no, I really don't. I don't know what he did because what I do know is he's clothed in the righteousness of my son. Therefore, come on home. Come on home. If you trust Christ as your Savior today, the Father says to you, come on home. Will you trust him? Let's pray. Father, what a privilege it is to turn to this portion of your word and embrace its truth. I pray, O oh God, that you would cause your Holy Spirit to be the one who opens the eyes of understanding for those who don't know the Savior. I pray that he would convict of sin, the sin of unbelief, of righteousness, the need that every individual has to have a righteous standing before you and that he would convict of judgment that without that righteousness they will be separated from you and punished for all eternity thank you for your love that was proven through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ thank you for what he did not only at Calvary but also at the tomb. He is alive, and because he lives, we too shall live. Amen.